1: Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to the DOGS program, DOGS. We are the Defenders of Government Schools here on 3CR 855 on AM dial on a Saturday around about midday. It's again good to have your company because here at the 3CR, the Community Radio Central, we deal with a lot of community issues and none is more important than the protection of our children and their education system. And so we are here to defend the education system in Australia, which is the only one which accepts all children, the only one that's universal, the only one that is free at point of purchase because education is more important than a marketplace, that's for sure and it's the only one that's secular, the only one that creates a situation in a school that's offensive to no one you may be Hindu, you may be Muslim, you may be Christian, you may be of any particular religion at a state school, none of that matters what matters is your reading, writing and arithmetic. State schools are offensive to nobody when it comes to such existential questions of of what colour God is. Mm-hmm. Now, today on the DOGS program, having stated what we are, we have so much to get through. Um, we have some lovely music for you to listen to and of course we will have at the end uh, highlighting our great state school here in Australia. We have our great state schools segment. But before we get to that... Um, there's been a lot going on And Jean um, has been chafing a bit for the last two weeks um, Because of course we missed the dog's programmes games last week Because of course we had Invasion Day And I'm quite happy to miss it for such an important reason as that But um, a couple of issues that Jean wants to highlight early on And both of them are interesting And both of them are very important to Australia as a nation The first is because around about, oh, I don't know 30% of the kids in Australia um, are educated by the Catholic Church um, the identity of what the Catholic Church um, is and how it educates its children in those schools is up for question at the moment. And also, of course, we have a, a, an even bigger question. I mean, what is the legal validity of funding religion in Australia? I mean, because in Australia at the moment, currently we spend billions of dollars each year giving it to bishops and other religious leaders to educate the children of the parents of people of those particular faiths, whereas, in fact, using taxpayers' money to do this um, is, is a question again. It was in 1981 in the Dogs' case, and it's coming back up onto the agenda one more time. And Jean's highlighting um, these questions again on the Dogs' program because they're both important and interesting. Um, I'll be doing a back-to-school special from the Dogs' perspective as well, and then, of course, we have our great state school. But more about that um, after this.
2: Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday, the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash people Yes, uh, here we are again with press release 779. The identity crisis for Catholic schools Uh, About 22% at the most I think of the children in Australia attend Catholic schools and well over 66% attend government schools so that 40 years, nearly 50 years after the introduction of state aid in this country and billions and billions and billions of dollars later, more than two thirds of the children in Australia still attend government schools, which I think needs to be said. It's taken billions and billions to try to keep something like the percentage of Catholic uh, children in the population in Catholic schools. Now, state aid was returned to the Catholic and Protestant education sectors in the 1960s. And press release 779 on our website at www.adogs.info is entitled The Identity Crisis for Catholic Schools. Back in the day, there were Poor parish schools which were in danger of collapsing not only for lack of dedicated monastic teachers but because the Catholic Church was refusing to put money into them even for toilets as you had in the case in, in, in Goulburn. But there were also Always many wealthy Catholic and Protestant schools that had no intention of considering a redistribution of either their own wealth or a fairer system for all Australian children. After all, it was part of their business model to educate the political, legal and business elite. And for the first time in Australian history, back in the 1960s, the country actually had the opportunity to cater for more than 90% of our children in public schools. But we blew it. We gave in and we gave them state aid. Instead, more than half a century later, we're laying out billions and billions more dollars to hold the dividing line between one-third and two-thirds of Australian children. And that's why the dogs are still here fighting the state aid battle and the battle for the two-thirds in the public sector. The poor parish school myth has been consigned to the dustbin with a tranche of failed needs policies. Even a successful businessman-philanthropist courtier David Gonski has fled to the hallowed halls of academia. So, what mythologising must the Catholic sector fall back on to justify its shameless attacks on the public treasury? Crying poor sounds less and less credible as the public sector gains the moral initiative. But the religious sector are the acknowledged experts in gaming the moral initiative, are they not? Why not grab it back? It only takes the right slogans from the marketing experts. And sure enough, Lindsay Connors, in a recent January the 22nd article on John menardeu's blog, Pearls and Irritations, which is entitled Curiouser and Curiouser, The Marketing of Private Schools, has turned up the strategy of one very wealthy, prestigious school for those born to rule the Australian polity. Their answer to their problem? Hijack the laudable objectives of the public system and claim it as their own. She writes, this is Lindsay Connors, In its recent newspaper advertisement for a Director of Advancement, a long-established Sydney private school for Catholic boys described itself as, Listen to this. An inclusive, non-selective school with students attending from all walks of life. Now this sounds, from her description, a bit like Riverview where Mr. Abbott and uh, others attended. Now, this, she says, this is a school with an exorbitant upfront fees and resource levels to match. And such an audacious attempt at rebranding suggests that there is more afoot here than semantics. So there you have it, listeners. One of the wealthiest Catholic schools in Sydney describes itself as an inclusive, non-selective school with students attending from all walks of life. That is actually the description of a comprehensive high school in the public sector. Now schools such as this have always borne gladly the epithet of leading and exclusive regularly bestowed on them by the press. Questioning whom these schools were excluding was dismissed as the politics of envy. For a school with upfront fees that exclude all but a small number of families to describe itself as inclusive and non-selective is preposterous. But that's marketing, isn't it? This particular school charges a fee of close to double the government's basic resource standard, which is I think about 14,000 or, or, or 15,000. So it's about 30,000 to go to this school. It's both exclusive and selective on that ground alone, not to mention that it discriminates further in its enrolment policy on the grounds of sex and religion. Its SES measure is 124 and its ICSEA value of 1176 means its students are drawn from the most privileged end of the spectrum based on measures of socio-economic circumstances and school community educational advantage. This school has the second highest ICSEA score of New South Wales Catholic Secondary Schools and is in the top eight of New South Wales non-government secondary schools. In a self-congratulatory tone, the advertisement describes the provisions of bursaries to 90 boys as a testament to the generosity of spirit of its community. In fact, Just 6% of its enrolment comes from the bottom half, the QI and Q2 quarters. And Indigenous students are among those who receive bursaries of which some are funded from external sources anyway and are based on selection criteria. So they have to be pretty smart Aboriginal children to even get near this school and the government or other sources are paying for them. Almost 80% of its enrolments come from the top quartile and a proportion that has been maintained for a long time. And this school would have to reach out to far more medium to low-income families to come within CUI of being inclusive. Well, they're the facts. But why the disconnect between the image and the reality? That's the question because... Uh, these schools haven't usually described themselves in this way. Why do they want to describe themselves as you would a comprehensive public school? Lindsay Connors is interested to analyse the complete disconnect between the marketing image and the reality. She points to the current identity crisis experienced by the 95% of private schools in the religious sector. The identity crisis, she believes, harks back to the Howard government's funding changes. Well, I've got news for it, it's always been there. She notes how the religious schools are concerned at how they should market themselves in what they consider a hostile, secular society. The Catholic sector in particular has had problems about where to position itself in the changing map of Australian schooling. According to Lindsay, identity crisis began in earnest with the abandonment of any pretense at needs policies by the Howard government. But the dogs contend that Lindsay Connors is mistaken. The private religious sector lost its soul, its identity, if you wish to call it that, well back in the 1970s when the religious were in fear of losing their state aid with the dogs' high court case. Their lobbyists managed to keep the matter out of the court through fair means or foul for more than a decade and when the dogs finally got Fiat from the Victorian Attorney-General they did everything they could to stop it reaching the court. Then in 1979 they spent 26 days in court in a trial of facts trying to prove that they were not really religious or at least no more religious than state schools. They were not wrong mayor, if you think about what Christianity is really about. Justice Lionel Murphy was the only High Court judge to call them out for what they were, but only in his final 1981 judgment. As the trial judge, Murphy was extremely circumspect and proper. This is all outlined in the book Contempt of Court, published by Arena in 2011 and on the DOGS website. What is happening now is merely a consequence of what happened in 1981. The concern of religious schools confronted with the reduction of religious liberty enshrined in the Australian Constitution to mere discrimination legislation, which may or may not grant religious exemptions, is very real. It is heartening that Lindsay Connors who has promoted needs policies in her career as a state school parent representative on the Schools Commission, has finally understood the dissembling nature of the religious education industry. She completes her article with the statement, Treating your fellow citizens as fools. Is there a Latin motto for that? Dogs just say, You can fool some of the people, some of the time, but not all of the people, all of the time. And the dogs are in the position of refusing to have been fooled from the beginning. Now, there were some very interesting comments on this article. And um, I wrote a comment about what happened to the High Court Dogs case. And the really interesting thing is, listeners, they published it. Mm. And that actually shows a change in the times because even 10 years ago, no one would have published what I wrote, which I've just read you actually, or part of what I've just read you from the press release. But there were some other comments of interest, which I'll
0: get Dale. Thanks, Jean. Uh, yes, there's plenty of comments. Uh, one from Peter Donnan says, uh, There's an old joke. The head of the Franciscans, the Dominicans and the Jesuits visited the Holy Family. The Franciscan bought a dove as a gift for Jesus, giving it to Mary. The Dominican, similarly, a sacred text. The head of the Jesuits walked past Mary and said to Joseph, Have you thought about his schooling? Upmarket contemporary Jesuit schools educate boys who later become leaders in many spheres and they regard their school days with great affection. Perhaps this is sufficient rationale. Within Australian political life it is quite evident that there is almost a bypass in our senior leaders on courage, integrity and being crazy brave in the pursuit of values that are deeply and genuinely Christian, focused on the poor and the marginalised. This article critiques the blather, high fees and cant around the private school mission statements and marketing programs. Come to me, all ye who labour. No, come if you're cashed up or in in a small number of cases on a bursary. But the facts are our our senior political leaders spend formative years in these elite institutions. So what is of the essence is the quality of religious education they offer, the sense of social justice they promote and the contribution their students make to contemporary Australian society. And here's another comment from John Thomas. It says, uh, this is an excellent article, thank you. I'm incensed to find that my local paper every week Find in my local paper every week vacuous and inane advertisements for private schools featuring photographs of handsome, perfectly groomed middle-class kids in immaculate school uniforms featuring glib promises to achieve potential, develop character, finding your child's excellence and so on. The cost of these flaky promotions is being met partly by government funds scarce funds that should be directed to educating those kids in our society that most need government support and one final comment from Joan Seymour says it's very difficult to know why this school calls itself a Catholic school if indeed it does I'd love to read its religious education curriculum as well as its mission statement
2: well thank you very much Dale so we live in very interesting times don't we and uh, On the basis of that, there was something else that's happened in the last two weeks too. It's not just an identity crisis that they've got. They've also got um, the possibility of having to go back to the High Court. But we'll have a bit of a break before we discuss the next press release, 780. Mm -hmm.
1: Welcome back to the Dogs Programme. That was Yum Dismas Zelenka, um, uh, That was his Kyrie Laison there by Scholar Cantorum from Melbourne back in the uh, 2001, I think it was, uh, in Move Studios. But um, away from that sort of glorious, uplifting music, back into the world of Jean's press releases and the fight that must continue to defend government schools. Jean, you are talking about something, or about to talk about something, in press release number 780.
2: Yes, yes. Um there has been a very interesting uh, article appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald. I haven't seen it in the Age yet, but uh, it's written by Anne Patty and um, some academics and the Mr Goss, I think it is, from the Grattan Institute, are talking about going back to the High Court on the state aid issue. Uh, the state aid to private schools has reached such a high watermark that the tide of sympathy for poor parish Catholic schools has almost gone out. Legal beagles are contemplating put the high, putting the High Court on trial once again. They believe that, four decades of blatantly unequal funding later, The Dogs case of 1981 could be revisited and the constitutionality of state aid questioned. This time they wish to argue not separation of religion from the state but preferential treatment of Catholic schools. Figures for 2017 from the Grattan Institute show that state and federal governments provided all the schools with about 49.5 billion, but 8.4 billion went to Catholic schools and 5.7 to those in the uh, Protestant independent, so-called independent sector. But those figures didn't take into account the taxation expenditures or exemptions provided to the private, but not the public sector. The analysis also reveals that Catholic schools received the highest proportion of their government funding target for each school. It found that public schools received 90% of the target funding they needed to provide a good education. Catholic schools received 96% and independent schools 95%. Now, according to Anne Patty in the Sydney Morning Herald, Peter Goss from the Grattan Institute George Williams from the University of New South Wales, I think he's a professor, and Luke Beck from Monash University believe that if public money is given to religious schools without bias, it's constitutionally valid. If not, there could be problems. And school education analysts, including Peter Goss from the Grattan Institute, argue that funding for the Catholic system may have overstepped that mark. But they go further. They believe that recent changes in the way the Australian Constitution is interpreted by the High Court mean that any special deals that favour one system of religious schools over others could now be in question. And I assure you there's been plenty of those. Sixty years of rorting, of rotting and gaming the political, legal and funding system by the Catholic sector are coming home to roost. Whereas in the 1980s, the dogs had to pay for advertisements to expose the transfer of needs-based funding from the poor to the wealthy schools, in later days, think tanks like the Grattan Institute and Save Our Schools have exposed the scandal. And finally, Gonski took the lid off the garbage bin. auditor generals started to do their job. Dogs have been asking them to do their job for 40 years, but they finally started to look at the figures. Between 2016 and 2018, three Auditor General, the Commonwealth, the New South Wales and the Victorian reported a serious lack of transparency in the way non-government schools redistributed their public funding. They, They just got billions of dollars and they could do what they liked with it. And they were told that they should do it according to needs-based funding, but that did not happen. So it's called accountability. In late 2017, the Australian National Audit Office criticised the Federal Department of Education's reliance on non-government educational authorities to report on their own implementation of policy requirements without providing evidence of compliance with the needs-based funding system. The auditors general and the education department thought that they could trust the Catholic education officers to just tell the truth. Well, after the Gonski report, and uh, well, people could just use their eyes when they looked at the fact that the wealthy public schools were get, wealthy, uh, private schools were getting funds, and the needs, needy schools were not. So the New South Wales Catholic Bishops decided to try and protect themselves, and the New South Wales Catholic Bishops, notice not the Education Office, but the Bishops, commissioned Catherine Griner, who was the, um, the wife of one of the, uh, Premiers of New South Wales, Catherine, uh, and she was on the Gonski Committee report, uh, or on the Gonski Committee, so they commissioned Catherine Griner, who was a good Catholic girl, to conduct a review of funding for Catholic schools. And her report, which she tabled in 2017, was critical of the lack of accountability and the prudent resource allocation. Now, uh, they now claim, of course, that they've fixed things up, but... There's a question as to whether or not you can believe these gentlemen. But Griner's report said that resources for quality education were being diverted to Catholic schools in highly populated areas of New South Wales to the detriment of the greater need in the rural and remote diocese including the most disadvantaged, which were in the Wilcania Forbes in northern western New South Wales, where, of course, there is now a terrible drought. Even the Coalition was concerned. When it amended the Australian Education Act of 2013, the Turnbull government promised to end the special deals that consecutive coalition and labour governments have made with some non-government schools. And the Education Act required that school funding be fairly and transparently distributed and allocated according to need. And, of course, the Catholic Education Officers kicked up a big stink. Section 116 prohibits the commonwealth from making any law establishing any religion which is known as the establishment Clause. and legal experts have recently argued that there's greater scope now for developing a broader interpretation of the clause because it was read down and out it was made a nonsense of in the dog's case uh, listen as I read it again any law for establishing any religion was changed by the High Court to any law for establishing a particular religion. And when this is transferred to the other clauses, it means that the Commonwealth can actually make laws regarding religion, although it is a a prohibitive clause and the Commonwealth should not be making any laws about any religion of any sort. So perhaps Mr Morrison might like to think about that as he talks about uh, making legislation to protect religious freedom in Australia. They already had it in Section 116, but it's gone. So uh, the legal experts are now looking at this and saying, well, everybody agrees that the dog's case was a bit of a nonsense and perhaps the High Court now might uh, be a little bit less narrow in the way that they look at it. And they argue that the High Court judges would develop a broader interpretation of the clause to stop preferential treatment of schools from one religious denomination over others and that would include giving special favours or advantages to one that are denied to others. Now Luke Beck from Monash University says that in the Dogs case the majority judges were influenced by the fact that the government funding of Catholic schools was entirely non-discriminatory. Well personally I don't remember that but that's a very interesting way of looking at the way the high court judges of that day uh, argued. Catholic and other religious private schools were all funded he claims on the same basis. So he argues that it follows that if government funding of religious schools was discriminatory we would be in a different situation to the situation in the dog's case. Uh, He says the times have changed, and they certainly have. If government funding of religious schools was discriminatory in the sense that the schools associated with one faith tradition got a special deal, then there would be a real question mark about whether that special funding deal was constitutionally valid. Would that mean that that church was being established, in other words? More generally... Any federal law that effectively plays favourites between different religions has real constitutional doubts over it. Now Goss argues that until 2017 the schools funding formula was particularly advantageous to a subgroup of Catholic primary schools with well-off families. And um, I suppose if they want to go back to the High Court uh, there will be a question of a trial of facts again. So good luck to them, because the dog's experience is that the Catholic Church has got almost unlimited funds, certainly from the public treasury, and they could run another trial of facts, and the people who go to the court would perhaps um, have to raise millions and millions of dollars of money. But um, dogs wish Luke Beck and George Williams well, if they wish to take legal arguments further. But the issue in Section 116 for the dogs is not just one of preferential funding and inequalities of opportunity for our children, however important they are. It is even more basic, if that is possible. It is one of perhaps the most basic of human rights, the right of freedom of conscience. The right to be freed of and from religion uh, is what is at issue here. Citizens and taxpayers have the right to be free from being forced to pay taxation of even one cent towards a religion to which they do not adhere. Well, there were some interesting comments here, so we'll throw it over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes,
0: first comment comes from Leslie Miserable asking, what would a young Jesus say if he came to Sydney seeking an appropriate education? Oh, I looked around and decided on one of those Roman Catholic schools on the North Shore. I mean, the pool, the gym, computer labs are awesome. Unfortunately, the fees are a bit too high, a bit too steep for Joe and Max, so uh, a state school it is. And then Mark Oakley says quite succinctly, not one cent should go to a private for-profit school. And then JT says, regardless of the constitution, it is not sensible to have the future of Australia shattered by the bigotries and social, bigotries, social, religious or other of the present generation. It is in the national interest that all private schools are banned for both the unity of future Australia and the best possible educational outcomes. Finland has done this and they are the tops. Unfortunately, the bigots are too entrenched for this to happen, but at the very least, no, zero, zip public monies ought to be spent on anything intended to divide the country. Then Gerson says, Catholic schools need to understand a difference between fixing broken toilets and indoor swimming pools and tennis courts and then finally i'll then human being says, "I resent every cent taken from taxes to pay for private schooling, when it is evident that the money is being spent on non-essential needs. These days, money is inadvertently given and funneled into pools, sandstone gates, and such items. Why can't the Pope look after his own flock when religious beliefs are being followed? They aren't short a quid or two. I know public schools in Sydney that are in desperate need of teachers' aids, so classes can be realistically run. Public money." For public schools. Money should be spent on teenage mental health support for all. No private school should be depending on public funds each year. The private schools should be coming to the government cap in hand, not public schools. How many politicians' kids go to private religious schools? Conflict of interest is easily transparent here. And then the thin man reiterates uh, by saying, so the Catholic Church has no money to fix had no money to fix toilets back then. Go on, pull the other one. Public funding for church schools must cease.
1: Oh, thank you, Jean and Doug. You're to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. If you're interested in double-checking what Jean was saying there on the radio, on her press releases, of course you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info to um, go over anything that piqued your interest. Of course, you can get to it through the 3CR website as well at 3cr.org.au. Well, let's have some music and then we'll continue on with the Defenders of Government Schools program, the dogs. Dog's Program, that was Laudate Dominum again by Hans Jans Dismas Jalenka, a lovely Jesuit composer there from Czechoslovakia back in the day, about 400 years, years ago so we're not, uh, we're not all like um, religiously intolerant when it comes to music here at the Dog's Program that's for sure, um, Look, I promised you earlier in the program a couple of things. Firstly, I'm going to finish off with our great state school, and I can't wait to tell you all about that. But before that, some little advice about how to how to choose a school in Australia, because we often give sort of financial and parental advice here on the Dogs Program, because we're cheeky. Um, This time of year, parents are often in a situation, especially when their child is starting a new school, asking and answering the question, um, where should I send my child to school? Now, there's a couple of ways of solving this problem. As I've often said, if you want to do the best thing for your child, what you do is you work out the most expensive private school you can send your child to, work out how much that costs, and then put that money in the bank instead um, and send them to the local state school. Because the difference um, between sending your child to a state school and to a very expensive private school is a great deal of money, which adds up over time. And at the moment in Australia... Um, If you want to send your child to the best of all possible schools because you're stinkingly wealthy, you'll be spending up to uh, three-quarters of a million dollars over the lifetime of the child, which you can then use instead to buy them a couple of degrees in medicine or buy them a house or set them up in business um, because, I mean, that's not even counting the interest rates.
2: I'd be talking to the grandparents here, Robert. The parents haven't got a hope of paying that sort of money.
1: Yep, well I suppose that's probably the case, Um, although there are some very wealthy people out there and I'm sure very wealthy people out there are choosing the second route. Now what's happening is that in Australia, many people consider themselves to have the problem if they want to send their child to the local state school, but the local state school is not good enough. Their local state school, and I've heard some parents say, I wouldn't send a dog there. So I can't send my child to the local state school. This is what they say. They say it with a great deal of gusto and they say it in a definite kind of way. Now, if you went to a country that was civilised and a parent said, I cannot send my child to the local state school because my state school is unfit for the education of my child, then all the parents in that local area would band together and say, excuse me, We live in a civilised country, and we have come to the realisation that our local state school is unfit to send our child to. You better do something about it quick, smart, or you're not going to be in government for very long. Local MPs will then get on the case and say, well, actually, I do like my job. I'll do the best I can, and so therefore the local state school improves. Now, this happens all over the world. This is the standard solution for civilised countries. If your local state school is not up to the job, then fix it. Straight up, fix it, or it's your job. In Australia, if the local state school is not up to the job, a couple of things happen. First thing, parents do not band together. Parents do not say, well, this is unacceptable, we better do something about it. They opt out. Now, there's two ways they opt out. The first way they opt out is to buy themselves an education in the government-funded private education system, be it Catholic or any other denomination. Um, There are a few... Uh, private schools in Australia, which are not run by any particular denomination, but they are most significantly the minority. So that's the first thing parents do. They say, well, I'm going to buy my way out. Well, if you've got to spare half a million dollars go for your life, I suppose, except it doesn't solve the problem. And the problem is that if your local state school is not up to the job, it stays not up to the job because the money that would have gone <laughs> to... Uh, fixing that school, which you decide is not up the chop, now follows you to the private school and so therefore doesn't solve the problem. Now, what's happening now, of course, as people get um, more worried about where their money's going. First thing that happens, is if you do send your child to the private school, you realise it's going to cost you. And here's an article by uh, Pallavi Singal from the Sydney Morning Herald. She said, school fees these days well, you're not going to spend less than $27,000 per year per kid um, for a decent private school. And if you do that, of course, then you have the right to complain. You have the right to say that you're sacrificing. You have the right to have this moral value system that means that you get to complain. He said, well, it's like taking a pay pay cut, said Mr Craven, who made this decision. He sent his son Max to a private school, and he says it's better because well, it just must be, I suppose, he says, but I have to pay for uniforms, extracurricular activities, camps, excursions. It adds up to an extra $5,000 on top of the school fees and there's all these sacrifices that I as a parent now have to make which I kind of resent. So he's a bit grumpy about this. (laughs) So that's the first thing you do. You spend the money on your child's education because your local state school you have decided is no good Um, and you get to complain and talk about sacrifice and values. Now, the other thing you do, if, you, if you're a bit smarter, <laughs> is you find a state school that's not near you but is one that you are willing to, to send your child to. So you send your child to a school, you drive them to a school away from your house and that way you get an education in a good, inverted commas, state school. Now what's happening, of course, is a lot of parents are wising up. They're going, well, actually, I'm not going to, be able to send my child to a private school, so their enrolments are going down, but I am going to send my child to an inverted commas good state school. And so they're driving their children all over the place to get to their good state schools, but now the good inverted commas state schools are saying, no, we're not accepting any more enrolments that aren't local. We've got too many kids. It's getting too crowded. It's getting a bit silly. Why don't you send your kid to the local state school? But the parents, oh, my goodness, the parents, they get very grumpy about that. And they say, um, in an article by Henrietta Cook here in Victoria, she says it's a heart-wrenching experience for these parents because there's now new rules that force schools to reject students from out of their area. And from this year on, from 2019, schools are not entitled to extra portable classrooms if 50% or more of their students do not live locally. That's 50% don't, don't live locally. Now, while this move is aimed at restricting the growth of larger schools and encouraging families to attend their closest schools, critics have accused the state government of winding back, and here's the word, school choice. (laughs) School choice. Thomas Mitchell Primary Schools, Principal John Hurley, who who is the principal of a good, inverted commas, state school, says he's first turned away about 30 students this year because of the new rules. He says he's very upset. He says he doesn't understand why he has to do this. Well... Tom, Tom Mitchell, Um, Yeah, um, I'm, I'm here on the radio to tell you that the solution to the problem is to make all schools good state schools. In fact, I will tell you, and this is a secret, all state schools are good. Parents' perceptions of schools is not can't, it's not inviolate law. Do you know how you make a good school? You have a whole heap of parents who care a great deal about the education of their child children coming together, supporting the school, turning up at the school, asking questions when things aren't going right. If you think that your school is not doing the right thing for your child, what do you do? You front up, because that's what parents do. Now, I know it's difficult. I know that's time. Sometimes time is more valuable than money to many parents. I understand that these days. But the basic problem... And it always gets back to this. If you live in a place and your local state school is not up to chop, that is the problem that needs solving. Nothing more. It's not about making it easier for parents to move to other 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 state schools and other areas. It's not about subsidising private education so you can buy your way out of the situation. You solve the first problem. If you live in a sco- an area where your school is something that is not acceptable, then fix it. Which is exactly what they did, I have to say, at a wonderful school just around the corner from here at the 3 O F which is out in Essendon. It's the Buckley Park College, which is our great state school, which I'm going to briefly tell you about here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great
0: school. State schools
1: are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School no, of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools school are great of the schools. week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Oh our great state school of the week this week is Buckley Park College in Essendon. Now Buckley Park College is one of those things which I think is brilliant. It's a really good school, it's got really lovely kids, and it saves me money. I like anything that saves me money. I like a good bargain, and Buckley Park, secondary, Buckley Park College in Essendon, it's a secondary college, um, saves me a bucket load of money. Let me explain why. Look, Buckley Park College is up there in Essendon, it's next to Rose Hill, so there's like a lot of kids up there, and they have a wonderful time. Who are the kids? The kids aren't poor. They're not super rich, but they're not super poor either. The ICSIA value average of Australia is, is 1,000. It's, it's thousand and eighty-one. So they're not poor kids. But as we know in Australia, if you have kids from a privileged background, they are cheaper to educate. Because strangely and disgustingly in Australia, the richer the family you come from, the more likely you are to have academic success. It's just a fact. I think it's disgusting and we need to fix it. So Buckley Park Secondary College. What are their NAPLAN results? They're fine. Great. And similar schools, they're all just really good. In fact, their numeracy in Year 7 is, is, is actually way out in front. Compared to all Australian kids, they are acing it in every single area, in reading, in writing, in spelling, in grammar, in numeracy, all the three R's and the rest. They're doing spot on stuff. How many kids go to the school? Well, strangely enough, there's about a 1,000 kids, which is about you know, a reasonably sized secondary college. 31% of them come from a background language at home, other than English, which is interesting, and you know, that's kind of reflective of Essendon as a cultural mix. So, local kids go to the local skill school. Um, they're not all first English speakers. Having a good time. There's a lot of rich people there, and there's some poor people there as well. How much does it all cost? Now, this is the bit where well, I reckon this place has got it nailed. <laughs> Secondary school, if you want to get you know a pretty good education into a kid, gold standard. About 15,000 bucks per average Australian. Now these kids were a little bit over average, so it cost a bit less. Call it 14,000 to give these kids a gold standard education. This school's doing it on $11,000 per kid. So when it comes to saving money, the state school system here is saving the taxpayers an absolute bucket. And of course the parents, because it's free at point of entry. Now, there are obviously fees, charges, and some parent contributions over the years, and that's around about 500 bucks. You know, that's sort of things like laptops and uniforms and all that sort of stuff. So it's about the same for most secondary schools as it is for this one as well. But Buckley Park Secondary College, I have to say straight up, you guys are doing a wonderful job. So congratulations to the parents who made the kids who turned up. To the teachers who are doing the job on a day-to-day basis To the admin staff and the support people that are in the school Congratulations to all of you You are doing what a lot of people romance about Which is good old-fashioned state school When I say old-fashioned, I don't mean in terms of curriculum Because obviously you're keeping up with all the wonderful trends That are coming through from international places and across around Australia So old-fashioned, is in the, I mean that in a good way, I don't mean it in a bad way it's a good old secondary school. So congratulations to Buckley Park College. You're nailing it out there in Essendon. Congratulations. You are our great state school of the week. That's all we have time for here on the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, DOGS, and we have to come back next week because the fight's not over. People attack government schools and we're here to defend them. Here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial, podcast on the Ws, and with their website at www. 3cr.org.au If you want to catch up with us and fact check us and do all the things you want to do because I know there's a lot of people out there that listen and are interested in what we're talking about you can contact us at our website at www.adogs.info That's www.adogs.info And don't forget, if you have a recommendation for a great state school, you can just call up the radio station and drop the name of the school and yours as well and I'll do the research. You can do that, of course, on nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's nine four one nine eight three double seven. But until next week that's enough from us here at the dogs.
3: I dreamed I saw Joy last night, alive as you and me. I, but Joe here ten years dead I never died, says he I never died says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I am standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge says Joe But I did, says Joe. But I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. Standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill strike and organize it's there